Hey listeners, we are Frontline Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You are about to listen to a sermon from a Sunday gathering at our downtown OKC location. We pray that it moves you towards the power and presence of Christ and calls you to love God, love people, and push back darkness. Please visit FrontlineChurch.com for more information. The scripture for today's sermon comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. The word of God speaks to us. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning, everybody. I know I'm not as cute as the children. And though I asked Corey to hold me up like Simba while I preached, he has declined. (laughs) I just was caught up in the vibe and I I wanted to go there uh, with the babies, but alas... Corey Fahrenkamp is not strong. It's a problem. <laughs> hey, um, I, I want to just name something, and then I want us to pray and dive into the text this morning. Uh, we have people dedicated throughout the week each week to pray for us, to pray for all of us, to pray for you, and to pray specifically that God would speak and move and minister to us as his people when we gather. And this week there have been several people who have independently had dreams of women being healed in these services. It was specifically women being delivered from sadness and brokenness and anger and resentment that's connected to abandonment and abuse from your childhood. And I I wonder if as we're talking about women as sisters, or we're talking about spiritual friendship today, I just wonder out loud with you if for some of you that might be like the abandonment or the abuse of an older sister, whether biologically or in the Lord. And I like, I just want to lay that out here and say, if that's you, God has awakened people in the night throughout the week to pray for you, and God wants to heal you. And, and I'm going to pray that God would heal you now. Even before you have a chance to come up and ask someone to pray for you, like my longing for us as a church is that we wouldn't view Sunday service as, as, as like these three compartmentalized things. We have like 
concert, then we have school, then we have prayer ministry at the end, but we would see the entirety of what we do in the gathering of the saints as coming before the one true God and asking him to speak and asking him to heal and asking him to feed us and change us. So whether we're singing or praying together or sitting under God's word together, that's what we're asking God to do is to meet us. So would you pray with me now and, and pray together in that with me? And let's ask God just to heal us even now. Father, that is my desire. Holy Spirit, you are moving and ministering among your saints now. So I ask you would awaken hearts. I ask that you would save people this morning and heal people this morning. And for women that came into this room specifically, as we're, as we're taking weeks to talk about the glory of God manifested in female bodies, for women that have carried history of hurt. I ask now, God, that you would take their faces into your hands and look them in the eyes and speak words that heal. Holy Spirit, would you give me words that heal the saints, but would you, would you speak to us words that heal? And for women that lack courage to come forward and ask someone to pray for them, I ask God that you would meet them now. And for brothers in this room, you would heal them and meet them now. Help us all, God. <laughs> we come from a lot of different places with a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different stories. But one thing that holds us all together is we were made by you and we were made for you. So draw us to that place now, I ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're, we're now two weeks into a three-week focus on the unique glory that God has given to women. For, for those of you that weren't able last weekend to come to our Friday and Saturday Feminine Virtue Conference, that audio, I'm assuming, will be out soon and grab that when it, when it becomes available. It was powerful. I mean, it was powerful for us as elders just to be able to stand on the street and walk ladies to cars and greet and pray and celebrate what God's doing here. We came out of that weekend, and last weekend Josh talked about women as mothers or women as life givers. And this morning we're going to talk about women as sisters, which if, if we press it out in terms of how Jesus has designed his family, we're talking about spiritual friendship, women as sisters. And I just wanted to like take you guys to a place that I go regularly when I think about why I do what I do and tell you why we're doing this. Why, why have specific focused application to women? And for me, it all flows from Colossians 1.28. I didn't put it on the screen because... I just thought about it. <laughs> but if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And if you don't, you can take a Bible from one of the windowsills or you could use it on your phone or steal your friends or there's other ways to get it. But in, in Colossians chapter one, Paul spends this massive paragraph talking about the glory of Jesus. He says, Jesus was before everything. He's over everything. He's in everything. The universe bows to him. It was created by him and through him and for him. He is above everything. Everything, Paul says. And then he says in verse 28, and we preach about Jesus. 
He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says the reason why he does everything he does is he wants everyone to be fully formed in Jesus. He wants you to be complete, mature, lacking in nothing. And Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Why talk about feminine virtue or masculine virtue independently? Because we want to take specific moments to focus on how specific people can grow into the fullness of maturity in Jesus. That, that's why we're doing this. That's why I'm doing this. But, but the funny thing for me is it means that sermons should be about Jesus. Everything we preach should be about Jesus. And this sermon this morning actually is about Jesus. Because we see in these two women's lives, in Mary and Elizabeth's life in Luke chapter one, God's miraculous provision to send a savior into the world. Like if, if we should preach Jesus, then we should rightly see that Jesus is central in this passage, even if he's just in the womb of a young teenage virgin. But this is a unique moment in history to say the least, maybe the unique moment in history outside creation, God himself entered into our world. And he didn't like ride a meteor like Superman and just get dropped off into our world as if Jesus was God and he looked like us, but he wasn't really one of us. No, he came into our world through conventional means, albeit supernaturally. But he became an embryo and grew into a baby, a full-term child that was born. And I want us to see him centrally in this text, even though he's hidden behind the baby bump of this little girl visiting her cousin, who's also miraculously pregnant with a son who lived and died to point at his cousin and say, your only hope is here. But with the uniqueness of this moment, it's also unique in terms of the literature of the ancient Near East. And what I mean when I say that is, you scour the literature of the ancient Near East inside and outside the Bible, and women are rarely, if ever, the prominent feature. Men are the prominent feature of the literature of the ancient Near East, and women are sort of around or ancillary characters or they're on the side. It is a unique moment in the literature of the ancient Near East for women to be the central figures, let alone to be the only figures. There are no males in this narrative, save the ones who are present in utero. And in the only few places we see in the ancient Near East with women together and the, the text being only about the women, oftentimes women are competing and fighting. We even see that in the Bible in the lives of Rachel and Leah. But here we have two women partnering together, laboring together, encouraging one another to support one another 
in the fullness of the promises of God. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to offer observations on these two women and then commend their faith to you. And I want to do that to women first, but secondarily, I want to do that to men in the room. I want to see our concept of spiritual brotherhood and sisterhood elevated. And I want us to see and celebrate the role that God has appointed for women to play as spiritual sisters. So that's what I want us to do in Luke 1 today. And as we look at that, it might be helpful just to turn to Matthew for a brief second, to Matthew 12, and acknowledge that Jesus redefines the boundaries of family around the kingdom of God. So we think of sisters, and unless you're thinking of like your sorority sisters, most often and almost exclusively, we think about sisters in terms of biological family. We think about sisters as female siblings. But look with me in Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus redefines this biological component around the kingdom of God. He redraws the lines of what makes a sister. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, you know, said, hey, man, your mom's outside. She wants to talk to you. And he says, this is the ultimate flex. Kids, if you're in the room and you're thinking about this, like if your mom ever sends someone to get you, you could do say this. Who is my mother? (laughs) Who are my brothers? Are not all those who are in the kingdom of God my family? You might get a spanking, but it'd be a fun theological flex. Jesus says, hey, who's my mom? What do you mean my mom's outside? Who is my mother and who is my brother's? And what he's doing is he's making this point to say men and women who are submitted to the will of God and laboring after the kingdom of God, that's who's my family. And when he does that, he, he redraws the boundaries of what it means to be a brother and a sister and a mother and a father, not around family trees, but around the promises of God. The use of familial terms in the church is not sentimental or incidental. It is essential. And it's purchased for us. It's a gift purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. Listen to how Bonhoeffer describes this. He says, Christian brotherhood or sisterhood is not an ideal which we must realize It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So let's look at this reality as it plays out between these two cousins. We have distant cousins divided by geography and age and a whole bunch of other stuff, class being one of them. Mary was a common person. In fact, the ancient world shows that like one in four girls was named Mary. And Elizabeth was not a common woman. Her husband was a priest. She was much older. And she was separated by another element of class. She couldn't have a baby. And so let's, let's just dive into the narrative. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible, we'll put some verses on the screen. But you can follow along with me in the big thrust of what's happening here. Because in verses 5 to 25 of Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to Elizabeth's husband and says, Hey, Even though you're super old and your wife is beyond menopause, I have promises for you and promises for all of humankind that I'm going to fulfill through you. 
Like that, that's what happens in 5 to 25 of Luke chapter 1. And this old couple who has been crying out for years, for decades, for God to give them a child is found to be pregnant. And then we see this same angel, Gabriel, which is a significant figure, dispatched from the presence of the Most High God to Mary. He tells Mary the same thing he tells Zechariah, which is like, hey, God has purposes for you. God has plans for you. You're going to have a baby. Mary says, impossible, which is a different kind of impossible than Elizabeth had said. Mary says, never had sex with a man in my life. How, how could I be pregnant with a child? And Gabriel says, because the spirit of God is going to do this miraculously in you. Can you imagine for a second the strength of this young woman, the groundedness of this young woman that could say to this angelic messenger, I trust God. Let it be to me as you've said. And, and, and she hears that her cousin is pregnant as well. So she dashes off to see her cousin. And we have presented to us two godly women. I'm not just using church speak. The, the text has told us that both these women had, women had staked their identity on, on the promises of God. Even when it was inconvenient for them, even when it was potentially, you know, disastrous for their reputations, that they had trusted God for their identity, for their strength, for their purpose, for how they moved forward. So when Mary goes to visit her cousin, she knows that she's visiting a righteous woman. Look at verse six of Luke chapter one. She's visiting a righteous woman, not a sinless woman, but a blameless woman walking in the ways of God, which means that Elizabeth had believed God and taken God at his word and said, you will define what's good for me and I will pursue what you say is good for me. And the text tells us that Elizabeth was, was doing that even though she was brokenhearted. Verse seven says, she's not a kid. And she and her husband had hoped long and grieved long and prayed hard that God would give them a child. And the day had come and gone. Decades of prayers unanswered. I think it's significant to camp out here for a second for at least two reasons. One, we just held up babies in this room and celebrated God's love for them and our support of them and God's fulfillment of promises to raise up a new generation. And we clapped and we applauded and we prayed for parents. And there's some of you in this room that would die for that to be you. And either through seasons of miscarriage or seasons of inexplained infertility or maybe seasons of medically explained infertility. It hasn't been your story. Maybe some of you are single and you're like, man, I've been single way longer than I thought I was gonna be single and this does not seem like it's gonna be the way for me. And another reason, of course, is we talked last week about women as mothers Women as life givers. Now, obviously, that transcends biology, but we talked about the biological component of it as well. 
And I wanted to camp here, not because I have an answer for you or a simple platitude for you. I camp here just to highlight on your sister Elizabeth and tell you that God has featured prominently in the scriptures women who know what you feel like. Women who know your struggle, women who know your agony, women who know your anguish, and women who know the social stigmas related with children or not having them. In fact, the social stigma for Elizabeth was even greater, right? So great that when she is t- when she's told that she's miraculously going to conceive a child and we see her pregnant at the end of this opening vignette, she says, "The Lord has taken away my reproach." She didn't have she didn't have the nuance or the cultural sophistication to talk about struggling with infertility, there was a label placed on her that was a weighty one. That label was barren, fruitless. And it didn't just carry with it a social stigma. It connected her significantly to God's faithfulness to women in the Old Testament as well. That's who Mary runs to. Just think about that for a second. And when she gets to Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth welcomes her. She welcomes her. And I want us to realize that the welcome and the hospitality Elizabeth draws her cousin into is characterized, before it's characterized by anything else, by wisdom. What she welcomes her into is a home that's built on wisdom. One theologian defines wisdom this way. He, he defines wisdom, or she defines wisdom, actually. She defines wisdom as the scientific, natural, and moral principles that would govern and give beauty to the whole of creation. That's what wisdom is. And God tells us that he established wisdom prior to creation. And it was these principles of wisdom that creation was established according to. Proverbs 1 to 8 and all of Proverbs And throughout Proverbs, most distinctly, but elsewhere in the scriptures, wisdom is personified as feminine. Wisdom bears with it this feminine element. There is a feminine quality about wisdom. Women see things and hear things that men don't see. Anyone want to venture an amen? (laughs) Hey, let's do this. Ladies, Women hear things and see things that men don't see. No one of you want to venture an amen? Amen. Hey, men, can you be courageous? Can you acknowledge? Hey, women see things and hear things that we don't hear and see. And I, I read way outside my depth, man. I read scientific journal articles last week that talk about color spectrums and sound frequencies biologically that women hear and see that men don't. But it's not just biologically, it's spiritually. And we actually see into Elizabeth's eyes in the way she welcomes Mary into her home. Listen to how Barbara Mouser summarizes this welcome of wisdom that Elizabeth offers to her cousin. God often renews us through other life givers. That is, he uses women to give fellowship and encouragement to one another. Mary, the mother of our Lord, sought out such fellowship with her cousin Elizabeth by going to her home for three months. 
Mary and Elizabeth shared a common faith, a common family, and were experiencing supernatural pregnancies at the same time. Elizabeth was, however, a very special woman for Mary. Mary was not only, sorry, Elizabeth was not only much older, she was six months further along in her pregnancy. Perhaps they had had a deep and long-lasting fellowship with each other over the years, or maybe their pregnancies drew them together for the first time. Either way, they found true fellowship and encouragement in one another as they walked similar paths. Redeemed life givers will be renewed by the Lord, by men who protect and provide, and by other women, especially older women. Women can and should be a great source of fellowship, comfort, understanding, encouragement, and counsel for one another. Which is to say, women should manifest the glory of their feminine strength and wisdom to other sisters and to other brothers in the faith. What's amazing to me is it's not like Elizabeth had seven kids and could explain to her younger cousin, hey, these are parenting principles or these are things you can learn from. I remember an older couple that Katie and I pursued in our early years of marriage when we had our own struggles with infertility and didn't know if we would ever have kids or not. But I watched these people with their kids. I was like, I want to learn from this mom how she raises boys. I want to learn from this mom what she's doing to raise her daughter. And Katie and I just said, hey, can we walk with you guys and watch you with your kids? That isn't even what Elizabeth had to offer Mary because she didn't have that. But she had the wisdom of a life oriented around the promises of God. And we actually see that strength and that wisdom manifested in the prayers that both of these women pray. We see Elizabeth's wisdom in her prophetic blessing of Mary. And again, I don't know if I put this on the screen because I'm thinking about it now, but uh, look, look at um, verse 42. Look at verse 42 of Luke chapter one. When, when Mary comes into Elizabeth's house, the first thing Elizabeth does is bless her. Hey, blessed are you, she says. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, which means that she knew prophetically, supernaturally, that her cousin was pregnant. They hadn't been in one another's presence. And then she does something that's, again, historically unique. She's the first person in Luke's gospel to call Jesus Lord, not insignificant. And then she utters a prophetic word about this child, which may seem insignificant to you, except it's the first prophetic word that's been uttered in like 400-something years since the book of Malachi was closed. She shares the wisdom of a life built on God, oriented around his principles, his promises, his power, and she shows the strength and the glory of what it means to be a woman in the way she prays and blesses and prophesies. And we see the glory of femininity in Mary's receptivity in her prayer, which is it's an amazing It's an amazing display of supernatural wisdom forged in the heart of a teenage girl. And the essence of Mary's prayer is God is fulfilling all his promises. 
He's giving us a savior, even has chosen me the odd task of bringing that savior in the world. And Mary just says, God provides for his people. We see the glory of the feminine role of a sister, of a friend, of an encourager, of a wise woman evidenced in these prayers. And then it's, it's on the fruit of this wisdom, or on the foundation of this wisdom, the fruit of these prayers, that we see the strength or the productivity of partnership between these two women. And the partnership we see between them is actually astonishing. Now think about this for a second. Can you imagine if you were Elizabeth, now five-ish months pregnant, You've waited for decades, now past menopause to get pregnant, and in a miraculous way past menopause, you are pregnant. You're trying to make sense of what that means for you and for Zachariah and for the promises of God for all people, and in comes your hillbilly teenage virgin cousin, and now she's pregnant too, as if she's coming to steal all your glory. Like, just wrap, like, try to wrap your mind around that for a moment. But there is no competition between the two of them. There is no comparison. Elizabeth doesn't lead with, like, are you for real? Like, I'm finally pregnant, and now you're going to try to upstage me? I played football with this guy in college who, who, regardless of what story you told, he would immediately respond by saying, well, that's nothing. One time I did something way more significant than that. And I mean, we, we would just try it. We would invent stuff of like, man, I, was, I bumped into this Hollywood A-list star and he invited me to his house and we cooked crepes together and then we rode on a private jet. And then he wouldn't even miss a beat. He'd be like, man, that's nothing. I, didn't, I was like, here's Mary kind of coming in with this that's nothing moment. Really? You got miraculously pregnant past menopause? That's nothing. I've never even had sex with a man. I'm pregnant. <laughs> Yet Mary welcomes her in. Yet Mary welcomes her in. And whereas the shadow of feminine strength could be manifested with Comparison, competition, cutting one another down, sizing one another up, cutting one another off. She doesn't do that. She welcomes her. She welcomes her to labor together with her in something way bigger than both of them. There's a book written that I've read several times and I would commend to all of you. It's written by a woman named Sarah Williams. And the title of it, it's been republished a couple of times. The title of it now is Perfectly Human. And in Perfectly Human, Sarah Williams narrates with like philosophical and theological reflections her own journey of pregnancy, whereas we're on like really early on in her pregnancy, she learns that her child has a skeletal abnormality that likely will not survive to term. And if the child does survive till term, will die in childbirth. And she writes about the glory of God in that unformed life. She tells a story in the book where, wherein she and her best friend 
who had prayed that they would get pregnant together and had gotten pregnant together. Her best friend is now pursuing her after she's found out that the child she's carrying in her womb isn't gonna survive. And Sarah says, I couldn't handle it, man. I couldn't handle like seeing her face. I couldn't handle talking about it. I couldn't muster the joy to give to her in the midst of her baby that every ultrasound looked better and better and better. And so I cut her off. And she said, one day this woman just shows up at her house and takes her by the hand and looks her into the eyes and says, you and I have a choice to make right now. Either you rejoice with me in what I'm rejoicing and I grieve with you in what you're grieving or we resign ourselves for the rest of our lives to superficiality, which will it be? And she describes the strength and the beauty and the power of partnership that was forged in that display of feminine strength, not comparing, not competing, not cutting one another off, but drawing near and saying, hey, woman to woman, are we gonna do this together? Can, can we help one another walk out the path that God has called us to walk? This is what women do. They actually provide strength out of the place of wisdom and out of the glorious place of welcome that God has created for them. And they don't just do this for other women, they do this for other men. I read this fascinating piece this week about the role of women in French salons during the Enlightenment, not places where you got your hair cut, right? Coffee shops cultural centers. And, and listen to how this woman describes the role of women in, in, the, in the Enlightenment, the French Revolution. One and all, these women who were leading these salons regulated the cultural life of the country, gave talent its due, disciplined the often tempestuous behavior of their male guests, curbed their unjustified pride, and occasionally encouraged those rare birds who were unduly humble and shy. At all times, they made sure that their guests, whatever their social standing and their profession, could communicate fruitfully with one another on a plane of complete equality and perfect courtesy. They also knew how to stimulate creativity by the use of appropriate encouragement and praise. The Abbe de Saint-Pierre, astounded at his unexpected success and popularity in Madame Goffrin's, I'm not a Frenchman, salon, admitted that he was merely an instrument in her skillful hands. Far better psychologists than the cocksure males, and also more basically realistic and modest. Hostesses spoke little and listened a great deal knowing with their usual flair how to bring dull conversation delicately to an end. But talented men were always encouraged and came away quite surprised to discover that they were far more witty in this kind of environment than elsewhere. Can we imagine this life with sisters, like living in the fullness of their strength in our body, not just encouraging one another, female to female to step into the fullness of the promises of God, but encouraging men to step into what God's made them to be and to help men and women walk in the power of what God's made them to be. Men, can you imagine a world in which women fully alive 
orienting their whole dignity and gifts and strength and identity around God's purposes and promises for them that we could walk away and say, man, I'm actually always smarter in their presence. We're actually doing better work together. Sisters strengthen. Sisters strengthen through their wisdom, through their welcome, through their prayers, through their generosity. It was really fun, man. I have three kids. I have, our, our oldest is a boy, and we have two girls below Quinn. And in the early days of me trying to call my son to do dangerous or challenging or risky things, to like step across thresholds and become less of a boy and more of a man, I would create you know, exercises for him to do. You know, I want you to go a mile down this thing and go into this grocery store by yourself and buy this thing and bring it back to me. Like, and I, and I would look him in the eyes and say, hey, this is what men do. I want you to take responsibility. I want you to have courage. I want you to be bold. And he would regularly look at me and say, can Lydia come with me? He, he found strength in her, rightly, if you know her. She's a force. And I asked my kids if I could share this with you. And they were kind of sheepish and they laughed because I don't talk about them unless they give me permission to do that. I did when they were younger and it was way more fun. But now I ask. And I said, hey, can I share about those early days when Lydia would come along with Quinn to help make him stronger? And they were kind of sheepish. And I was like, why are you guys so sheepish? And they're like, oh, you can totally tell that story. We're cool with that. We thought you were gonna ask if you could use the picture. I was like, the picture? <laughs> Can I use the picture? And they said, yeah, you can use the picture. Now let me tell you what's amazing about this picture. And it's not just the cuteness exploding from it. What's amazing about this picture is what happened seconds before it was taken. This is at my sister-in-law Lizzie's wedding in Chicago. Katie was the maid of honor with a nursing child, and I was tasked with taking care of these two Hanyaks and stewarding them throughout the day. And I was so proud of myself that I've gotten them dressed, Quinn to be the ring bearer and Lydia to be the flower girl, that as we stood outside, I said, let me take y'all's picture. And my son decided that this would be an amazing time to literally lay on the ground and kick his feet and have an apocalyptic tantrum. And I'm like, man, I was, I was having this moment of fatherly pride that I was about to share with my wife, and now this whole thing's about to come from together. And this girl, who I guess is four, maybe five, stands over her brother, and she says, get yourself together right now. Stand up, get it together, hold my hand, and act like a man. <laughs> and look how cute they look. That's her strength on display. And it continues today. And how much more can we see that strength evidenced in this family? Where men, we would actually welcome women around us saying, hey man, stand up and get yourself together and be a man. Like women where you could have the courage and know that you have the welcome to say, hey, this, this is what we need to do. 
This is what God says. This is how we're going to realize the glory of the purposes of God in us. I want to read to you one more quote, and I'm going to try to be out of your way. This is amazing. Women have a key role, Barbara Mouser says, to play in keeping not just their wounds, their houses, or even their souls. They are the fundamental keepers of civilization and human heritage itself. Civilization is culture in a refined and developed state, fostered by memory, morality, and manners. Such civilization endures only when it lives in the hearts and souls of its women. When morals, memory, manners, art, faith, and love perish in the women of any society, then their people are dead. No matter how brave or rich its men, that civilization is dead because there is no real life or beauty left. Brave men may defend their honor unto death, perishing for relics and stones, but they will have no real and living civilization for which to fight. The church needs sisters. The world needs sisters, maybe now more than ever. And what we see created in you, ladies, is the glory of God manifested in unique ways that it's not male. And we need it. Like, I, I'm zealous about this for us as a church because I want to see all of us presented mature in Christ. I'm passionate about this because I want to see my wife grow into this fullness. I'm passionate about this because I want to see my daughters grow into this fullness. But I'm passionate about this, if I can be dead honest with you, because I need sisters. I, I need sisters. And I know that ladies, you need sisters too. What would it look like if you harnessed all the fullness of your feminine glory and feminine strength around the purposes, the promises, the presence, the plan of God? And you operated in love and hospitality and prayer and strength and wisdom to call those around you, women and men, to fully experience all the fullness that God has for us in Jesus. And he is our only hope, by the way. And the way we will move forward in realizing him as our only hope will be when we, when we grow in the glory and the dignity that he's imparted upon us as men and as women. Will you stand with me to pray? Lord Jesus says, my brothers and sisters, stand. I just ask the same thing I asked in the beginning. That you would heal us. That you would strengthen us. That you would enable us to forgive others and receive forgiveness from you. Would you release, living God, the fullness of all that you are among us as we learn to grow and specifically as we learn to celebrate this morning the way you've appointed women in your kingdom to function as mothers and sisters and friends. And our only hope for that, brothers and sisters, hangs on Jesus, literally.